0: Well, so good to be together. Happy New Year. Great to be here at Risen Life. And we want to always be on mission for Christ. Uh, These are the last days for some of our good friends that will be starting Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain. And uh, there's about 30 of them going out from here. I saw a few of you here today. But we'll be saying goodbye to them. Make sure you say goodbye to them. They're on their way to launch and plant a church in Eagle Mountain. We're so excited. And this morning we're going to celebrate and pray for one of our own that's on their way to China.
1: We like to have The whole fellowship know when somebody's going out in a ministry situation. Heather, come on up here. Heather's going to be leaving on Wednesday heading to China and um, catching up with a missionary there to be an encouragement to them. And they have been planning this trip for some time. And Heather, where are you taking this? Is this your baggage? <laughs> <So much laughs> well, I wish. Okay, well, yeah, okay. Uh, where are you going to be going and what are you going to be doing there?
2: I'm going to be um, visiting with a, a dear friend who's a missionary, and we're going to go to a major city that everyone knows of. And then we're going to go to her city, which we do try to keep, we, we call it Cloud City. Um, so I get to meet and see the missionaries she's working with and really just encourage her. This is a really tough time of year for her uh she lost a family member this time of year actually on a friday the 13th in january so i'm going to be there for that so if you can just lift her up for that um that's one of the one of the big reasons because you know sometimes our missionaries get down and they just need some family and she's alone in the in the sense of typical family she has a ton of other family but i just get to be there be her family for a little bit
1: all right how can we pray for you particularly while you're going
2: uh, pray for her specifically. I'm not too worried about me. Um, the two little ones, uh, of course. I'm
1: Josiah and Caitlin and uh, Carly.
2: <laughs> yes, two little ones and the, the, the bigger little one. Because <laughs> um, he's he's doing a wonderful thing and he's staying with the kids full time while I'm gone. So it's an, an amazing blessing that he's willing to do that. So if you could pray for them, that would be the
1: most Okay. Important. Usually we ask people how they're doing financially. But uh, Josiah and Heather have a fund in their budget and it's called the Mission Fund. They put money into it on a regular basis. And when it's time to go on a mission trip, that's where the money comes from. That's a good challenge for all of us, isn't it? To be that deliberate, intentional, missional about our finances, to have that kind of fund. So um, uh, we're going to pray for Heather. She's leaving Wednesday. And how long are you going to be gone?
2: About 10 days.
1: Okay. All right, good. So let's pray for them. Pastor Kevin.
0: Well, thanks for Josiah and Heather. Thanks for the little kiddos. And God, this is a special time. Thank you for their heart for missions and to love people and to care for this very good friend in China. We ask for Heather's travels. That it'll be safe and, Father, fruitful and blessed that there'll be a great connection between her and her friend. Her friend will be encouraged and strengthened. Oh, Father, I pray for Josiah back home with the kiddos that you keep him strong and safe and uh, watch over them. Father, uh, may she come back rejoicing that you used her greatly on this trip. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it is so good, and what a privilege to be a part of God's kingdom's work and the serving of Him in so many ways. And these are good days at Risen Life as we seek to be on mission for Him day by day. Each one of us, you know, gets the privilege and the joy of being on mission for God wherever He takes us all over the city tomorrow now as we go. And let's let's be people who are bright lights for Jesus. Um and so we're gathered today and just to hear a little bit from God and His Word. And so we're in the book of Micah. We've been working through our way through Micah. This is the last Sunday in Micah, Micah chapter 7 today. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, there's a Bible in your chair in front of you. You can turn to page 780. At 780, you'll find um, Micah chapter 7. As we've been studying uh, this book, we've seen Micah frequently, chapter by chapter, sort of call the Israelites to account for their sin, their rebellion, they're going their own way. And then he comes right behind that with God's forgiveness and restoration and healing and hope for the future. And that cycle seems to go through most of the chapters. And this chapter is no different and it it reminds me a little bit of the Christian life where you know, we go through those seasons of sin and rebellion. We fall into temptation. And then and then God calls us back one more time in forgiveness and restoration and hope. Ultimately, it tells us in Micah that our hope is in a ruler that will come out of Bethlehem. Jesus Christ, the Lord, we put our hope in Him and trust in Him. And then He someday will deliver us completely sanctified, holy and pure and without any blemish in the New Jerusalem we write about in chapter 4 for all eternity. And so that's the message of Micah sort of in a nutshell for those of you who are just catching up here quickly today. And so in chapter 7 of Micah, we are going to look at this chapter in three parts. First of all, the situation that Micah finds himself in in verses 1 to 6, Micah's personal response in verse 7, and finally, uh, who is like our God. That really is what Micah means, who is like Yahweh. We, We trust in God because of who he is and his character. And we'll look at that in the, in the last point. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 to 6. I'll read them, and we'll look at the situation that Micah is dealing with. It says, "'Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind.'" They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn thornhenge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the, mouth, the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt and the daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemy are the men of his own house. And so Micah writes a very dark day where it's piercing his soul. He says, woe is me as everyone, it says, have become corrupt he's picturing a harvest of summer fruit but there is absolutely no fruit and it's a picture of righteousness there is no righteousness the fruit of righteousness is missing from the land everybody has become evil and the bible reminds us that really over and over again throughout the bible we're told that no one is good in their own flesh no one is good in their own selves apart from god's work in our hearts there's nothing good in us and so uh, this is what is being experienced here. And the, and, the res, and the results of that, it says in verse 4, is that there is pain. Everybody's like a briar just poking each other. And there is mass confusion in the land. And that's what happens when God's principles and governance is set aside and people go their own way. It leads to just great suffering and confusion. I, I was listening to a radio show this past week and um, they were discussing uh, the murder rate in Chicago and uh, if you've read some of the statistics this past year it was I think the highest number of murders in Chicago in its history 780 people were killed through gun violence and another 4,000 plus uh, were hurt through gun violence um, and if ever there was a program that was filled with confusion and pain, it was this one. I mean, the people were pained by the statistic. There were some government, governing officials in Chicago talking and they were pained by this and confused as to what to do. What do we do about this that's happening in so many of our major cities and they're talking about varying potential solutions they talked about well we got to get guns uh, out of the hands of criminals we got to get those in a safer place we got to train our police officers to do a, a better job and of course we need to educate our people tell them murder's bad right it's a bad thing to shoot people people die when they get shot right so good luck with Doing that. But they, so they're teaching, and we've got to do that kind of thing. Um, and so they're offering these varying solutions. But as Christians, uh, we know that the problem is not the guns, uh, the problem ultimately is not the policeman, the problem is not a lack of education, although all those things can help doing those things well. But the problem is the murderous human heart, see, uh, it is filled with murders um, and though most of us don't go around shooting people, we use our words to be violent with each other and we can see it over and over again um, in our society as people literally murder each other by the way they talk and treat and act uh, toward one another. And, Micah is disturbed by this as should we be because God's glory is distorted the beauty of how he created us to love one another and to serve one another and to together take on uh, this world and 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 oversee it and govern it and let it be beautiful to the glory of God is distorted and of course this is why Satan attacks us in these ways so that God's glory is is harmed and so it's a dark day and a hard day for Micah and He then comes to us in verse 7 with a a very, I think, encouraging response. Though the days are dark, the days are hard, uh, he has this response for us. Look at this in verse 7 Micah's response. But as for me, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Everything is dark, everything is difficult. Everybody's sinful in the way they're acting, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hope in the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to put my hope in His character, not in the character of people. Because God can be trusted. He is good. He is loving. He's in control. And I'm going to hope in Him. See, Micah reminds us that our hope is not in in government. Our hope is not in uh, people. Our hope is not in a bright 2017, per se. Our hope is in God. I was uh, at my kid's church down in Arizona this past Christmas holiday, and uh, their pastor is an African-American man. And a great preacher, loved listening to him preach, and had a congregation that was very attuned, I think, to God's word. I was very encouraged. Um, but he was saying in his sermon on Christmas Eve, uh, and remembering now that he's an African man or an African-American man saying this, he said, um, "I was so angry at the words of Michelle Obama in her interview with Oprah." Made me so angry because she said that now we get to learn about what it's to live life without hope. He goes, My hope, he says, my hope is not in a black man that comes out of the south side of Chicago. And my hope is not in a white man who comes down an escalator in Trump Tower. <laughs> my hope is in Jesus Christ, and he will rescue me. He will save me. And that's a good word. And that is our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. And this verse tells us that we are to wait for him. Like it says, I'm going to wait for the Lord for his salvation. For His rescuing of me in these circumstances, I will wait for God. Now look, I hate that word. I hate wait. Right? I, I, I am given to productivity. Right? I worked in the manufacturing world. I like production. Bigger numbers today than they were yesterday. Right? When I preach today, I want you all to hear it and go home and do it. Today. Right? I mean, come on. But I know better, right? And that's why this word wait is here. Because God's work is often slower than we want it to be. Right? I mean, if, if I could just flip a switch and be a holy man, I would flip it right now. That's what I want. But God says, you know, it's going to be a long haul over decades of work and you're never going to get to where you want to be until you see me face to face. Right? I want my friends and neighbors to accept Jesus now. We just had a family member accept Christ just before he died this last holiday season. Sixty some years old. Prayed for him for years, our family was. But he did. Before he died. We had to wait! Wait! It's crazy, right? Our kids, come on, grow up now. My spouse, come on, right? We have to wait. It's slow going, right? And even in God's own program for salvation, we are told in Genesis 3, at least hit it at pretty strongly, that there is a Savior coming. He's going to die for our sins. And we had to wait thousands of years before God finally brings Him on the scene. But in just the right time, it says in Galatians 4.4, 4, God sent Jesus. Right? His timing is, is slower. Now look it. Sometimes he heals us immediately and quickly and solves our problems just like that. We should pray for that. Don't stop praying for that, right? Pray that God just takes care of it now. Some people, when they accept Christ, that big sin that's in their life is gone forever. Pray that that's the case. But most of the time it's not. Most of the time we have to fight over long haul to be what God wants us to be and that's why he tells us to pray he goes i'll hear your prayers it says in verse 7 the lord will hear me give them to me trust me trust my timing really in my mind my simple mind there's a couple of categories of life that i work with all the time there's a little category of things that i control and i have control over it all involves just really me what i can do what i do what i say i can control all that and then there's a whole bunch of things, way, 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 way bigger stack of things I have no control over. That would be all of you, right? Praise God for that. That's, but but that, what I'm supposed to do for you then is pray for you. I just give you to God. You get to deal with Him, right? So your sin's between you and Him. Not with me, but with Him. So I pray and I, and I ask God to do His good work with you and then wait on His amazing thing and His amazing timing as He does His good thing in all of us. So that's Micah's amazing response to hardship and difficulty and probably ought to be ours also. Well, the remainder of this chapter <clears throat> really speaks of God's character. And I've called it Who is like our God? Because that's, it's a, a theme in Micah. It's actually what Micah's name means, as I've mentioned, Who is like Yahweh? And we trust Him, we wait for Him because of who He is. We're not just blindly putting our faith in some object something that doesn't have power or control or love or care about us or is not good. We put our hope in God because of who He is. And so the next several verses to the end of the chapter speak of God's amazing character that we would hope in Him and trust Him for who He really is. And the first quality that comes to the surface, and I love this one, is that God is a God who has the last word. I love that. Have you ever been in a meeting and you're sitting around a table and you're discussing an important subject? You're working at a hard issue um, and you kind of look around the table, who's there kind of solving the problem and then you know there's one guy sitting there, one person, that really knows this subject better than anybody else and you want to hear from them. right? Everybody's kind of giving their opinion, their two cents and rattling around, we're confused, trying to figure it out and then at the very end of the meeting that person speaks up and everybody listens because he has the answer and he has the final word and he knows what he's talking about unlike anybody else. Well, that is God in an infinite sense. He always has the last word. Listen. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Verse 8. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. Do you hear the the assault on this person's soul that's coming at him? First of all, He feels confused. He's in the darkness. And he says, the Lord will be my light. He'll show me the way. Then there's this bearing of the consequences of sin and the discipline of the Lord and the Lord's indignation is upon him. And he says, but God is going to execute judgment for me. He will declare me not guilty in the end. And then there's those enemies that shame us that say, where's God in this? Right? Your situation's bad, It's not getting better. Why are you hoping in God? You're a crazy person. Why, why do you put your hope in God? And in the end, God rises up and delivers this person in victory. I, I, I love this picture of our God. In all of life, He gets the final word and His word spoken over you, and me is a word of victory in the end. That's our God. That's who He is. Maybe you've had a, a dark time in your life. Maybe you're in the middle of a dark time in your life. And these verses are for you. They're for me. I, I remember a time like this. Um, back in my college days, I was uh, in engineering school, and I was taking a class uh, in my senior year called Transport Phenomena. I still don't know what that is. (Laughter) Now, now nobody does, I, I don't think. Well, maybe there are a few smart people. But it's supposedly it's a study of the flow of liquids and over a plate or through a pipe or over a waterfall, and you study them I and you write mathematical equations that describes the particle that flows over this, in the, through this place, you know. And, and I remember taking the first test in this class and not knowing what in the world I was doing, and I get the paper back, and I got 30%. And it was a B. (laughs) I was better than the average. And the professor handed those tests back and he looked at us that day and he goes, you are the worst group of engineering students I have ever had in my life. Thank you. Well, I flunked that class. It got worse for me. And I remember coming home one of those dark days and saying to my wife, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm going to make it. I can't pass this class, and you've got to pass this class to graduate. I need to do something easier. This is my exact words. I need to do something easier, like be a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't easier, by the way. But <laughs> that was prophetic, I think, maybe. And then I asked him for a recommendation because I was trying to find a job, you know. I figured, you know, a guy that gets 30% right should be employable somewhere, right? And I did find a job, by the way. Anyway, um, he goes, I really can't recommend you to anybody. You're not a very good engineer. So no, I won't do that for you. And that was a piercing moment in my life. And I wondered, okay, God, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How am I going to do this? But here's what I'll do. I'll put my hope in you and I'll keep going, right? I'll keep going. But that's what we're going to do. That's what this verse, this text calls us to do. Is to hope in him even in those dark moments when everything is confusing, when it seems like there's no way forward. Trust in God and obey him. And sometimes it says in verse 9, it's because we're guilty of sin. There are things that we have done, we have created our own consequences. Maybe in my case it was laziness. I wasn't studying hard enough. Who knows? But we sometimes are suffering because of our own sin. And God says, I will vindicate you. When you're guilty, I will forgive you. When you're guilty, my last word will be, not guilty. I will be your advocate in the court of law. I love this. It says in 1 John 2 that Jesus is our advocate. He's our defense attorney. And when we are guilty, he pleads his blood to the Father on our behalf. And we're declared not guilty. Amazing, right? That's the gospel. In your darkest moment, in your worst sin, when you're suffering the real consequences for your sin that we see in verse 9, Jesus writes over you as the last word, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amazing truth. And the encouragement and the hope here for me is that even in the suffering for our sins, it's only for a season. And it is not without hope. Because if God is in the middle of our suffering for our sins, in his discipline of us, he does it for our betterment and our good, like a loving father does with his children. His last word. You're clear. No condemnation. And then he goes on in verse 10, and he says, Okay, those enemies that looked at you and said, Where is the Lord your God? Right? Where is your brains to be able to pass this test? Where is any talent in you to be able to even get a job? And God says, Dr. Lynch. By the way, that's was the name of that professor, Dr. Lynch. How about that? <sighs> it's a true story. <laughs> it's all adding up to now, right? See, Dr. Lynch right he will rise though he falls he will rise because i'm on his side god gets the last word with us in the very end there's another quality about god that we see in this text verses 14 to 17 that he is the good shepherd <clears throat> Verse 14 says, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. This is a picture of a shepherd watching over his people, caring for his people, taking them into, as Psalm 23 says, green pasture, blessing them, and that they'll graze in these lands, and these lands that are mentioned here are known for their green, lush foliage that satisfies the sheep. That our God, don't you hear this, our God wants to bless us. Do you believe that? He wants to bless us. Yeah, I, we can, us evangelicals sometimes are a little afraid of this thing called the prosperity gospel. And I, and I don't buy the prosperity gospel as a whole. But one of the things they say is that God wants to bless us. And you know what? They're right. He wants to bless us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Believe that? you do you can trust him with your circumstances because he is good and he does good he's the good shepherd and he's leading you besides still waters and he's going to restore your soul right and lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake and even in the presence of enemies right he anoints our head with oil so that our cup runs over even in hard times we have his blessing on our head do you believe that Oswald Chambers said that the root of all sin is the faint suspicion that God is not good. Believe he's good? If you do, you trust him. You follow him because he says, when you follow me, there's blessing. A little bit like Robert said, right? This is the hard thing for us. I know it's hard to get, right? The Bible says, test me in this and you'll be blessed. Give your tithe. Give that first 10% off the top. Well, that sounds crazy. I don't even have enough money to pay my bills. Right? Well, God's a good shepherd. Not gonna mislead us. Test me, he says. Now here's the problem. <clears throat> Whenever time you talk about the shepherd, he's also talking about somebody called the sheep. Right? If God's called the shepherd, that makes you and I the sheep. Right? Well, and that's not super complimentary. They're cute, but they're also. Dumb. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so so God has given us appetites. He's given us desires that are good things for for life and fulfillment and purpose and meaning. Those are good things that God has placed in our soul. It makes us alive that we can live as humans and we're to feast them on God and all His good provisions for us. But the problem is our appetites lead us to feast on the sewer pipe of the world sometimes, right? I walk my pug. Forgive me for talking about him again. but I walk this pug, you know. And we're walking along. It's cold. I don't like being out there at all anyway. And then he sees a pile of something, right? And he wants to eat it. Like, oh, you dumb pug. Ooh, ooh. He just feasts his appetites on all the wrong things. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> oh, But that's us, you know. We're sheep and sometimes we just feast those appetites on the wrong stuff and it messes us up. Right? And that's why God gives us His word that's why we look at it. That's why we study. That's why we read it in the morning because it, it's a light to our path so that we follow it and walk in it. Even if it doesn't make sense sometimes, we're just going to take God at his word and act on it because we believe that brings a good result. So um, live by faith. We have a good shepherd. So here's the last word. He is the good shepherd. and Finally, his love is never failing And uh, these are marvelous verses that wrap up the chapter and talk about God's amazing love. It's never failing. It's called Steadfast Love. Listen, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will not tread our iniquities. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And so Micah ends uh, his book by reminding us one more time that all those sins, Israel, that you've committed, all those moments of rebellion, as my people, those who believe in me and trust in me, I will forgive you one more time. I will bring you back, and I will trample down your transgressions And treat you as if you had never committed them in the end. I want you to notice in verse 19. It says, again, I will forgive you. Again, I will heal you of your transgressions. Again, one more time, right? And I think this is really important for us. Because when we finally get to this point where we say, Oh no, God, one more time I did it. One more time I sinned against you. One more time I committed that sin that keeps getting me. And when you finally get to the point where you're thinking in your mind, Now God can't forgive me anymore. Now God is surely done with me. Now I'm condemned to hell for sure. This is it. I can't, I've done it one more time. When you get there... God says one more time, I forgive you, I pick you up, I restore you. That moment will change your heart. When you think, I do not in any way, shape, or form deserve his love, the only thing I really deserve is hell. And God comes to you and says, come on, son, daughter. I love you, I'm with you, get up and go one more time. No condemnation is written over your head. When you're at that moment, that moment changes you. It's the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith, and apart from anything we do, right? The closest thing I can come to this is is that we get it. Is maybe you've had a close friend, or maybe you've walked this path with your spouse. Or maybe you've been the rebellious child. And you know you did it one more time. One more time than any reasonable person should have put up with. Right? got to tell my wife one more time. Right? Harsh words one more time. Surely you ought to leave me. Right? Any reasonable person would leave me. And he or she looks at you and goes, Oh no, I love you. I forgive you. My wife said to me riding in the car here a couple weeks back, she goes, you know, really, Kevin, I can't really love you until you start acting in a way that you don't deserve it. Well, I've given her plenty of opportunity for that. (laughs) And so, that's the truth. That's where where God's love is when we suddenly see that we are what the Bible calls enemies of His, right? Sinful, that's when the Bible says, then, Romans 5.8, Christ dies for us. When we are enemies. I love you, right? Band, come on up. It's the gospel. We have nothing to offer. We bring nothing to the table other than ourselves, broken selves. And we say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thanks for being my savior. And God loved us so much that he would go to the end of the world. He would do whatever it took to show us that he loved us and to save us. And our greatest enemy is sin, and the result of that is death. And he sent his son to die to take that penalty. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death, we deserved to die so that we could be completely accepted by grace. That's the good gospel. That's our good God. When that love is seen and understood, it changes our hearts and sends us out in love and compassion for others. And so this morning we're going to come and we're going to celebrate this in communion. We're going to enjoy... The goodness of our God and the way he loved us through dying for our sins and rising again. And just rejoice in what he's done. But he asks us to come and participate only as people who truly believe. When we take these elements this morning, this bread and this cup, we are saying, Jesus, you are mine. I take your death on my behalf. I receive your shed blood for me. I receive the no condemnation you offer by grace. I just receive it by personal faith in you. My life is yours. And he asks us to examine ourselves to make sure that there's no sin between us and him. That there's something that we have been doing, have done this week, this past month, this past year confess it to him and receive his forgiveness we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so let's just take a moment can we as god's family as god's people just quietly in our own hearts let's search our hearts let's ask forgiveness and then we'll come and celebrate together and take communion So, Father, hallowed these moments. And as the deacons come, we ask that as we share this bread together, we will remember that you came and then you loved us and that you died. You rose again. And we'll rejoice in how in that is our salvation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deacons.